Welcome to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information, visit us at compasslu.org. Well, it's great to be with you all this morning. Um, there's something that we tend to do at holidays, at least here at Compass, and that is mention uh, something at the beginning of these types of sermons, and that is that um, it's okay for us to have multiple feelings at holidays like uh, Christmas. Um, some of us walked in with a ton of joy and we're just super excited to be here, super blessed, super thankful. Some of us uh, are dealing with other things going on in our lives. We're dealing with uh, maybe people that we've lost in the past year or two, or uh, maybe we have strained relationships with those that we love, uh, where we have these happy memories of Christmases long ago and we don't have that kind of relationship with them anymore. Um, maybe some of us are working through uh, our own forgiveness journeys with things that we've done or things that others have done that complicate seasons like this where we have more time around family or things like that. And I just want to say uh, that the holidays are a time for complicated emotions. Uh, so if you're not feeling 100% joyful, uh, that doesn't mean you're a Grinch. Uh, it doesn't mean uh, that, you know, that's, that's a normal thing to be. It's a human thing to be. It means you're human. And God understands our hearts. Uh, he sees our lives uh, in every aspect of it. He sees our lives when it's simple, and he sees our lives when it's complicated. So this morning, we'll just reflect a little bit on uh, a couple verses in Luke chapter 2. If you want to join me in Luke, you're certainly welcome to join me in Luke. We're just going to read a couple of verses. And what I want to talk about this morning about Christmas is that uh, Christmas is a time where so much is romanticized. Uh, you think about the greeting cards, you think about the TV shows, you think about the commercials that come on TV, all the things. It's always perfect snow. It's always all the gifts, right? It's always, uh, you know, everything is just perfect. And I think uh, when we think about the original Christmas, and yes, I don't believe he was born on, on December 25th, uh, but we celebrate it on December 25th. Uh, even that original Christmas, if we want to call it that, uh, is often romanticized. You have this uh, you know, perfect little baby who's not making a peep in a little manger and like the animals are acting, you know, really nicely and the family's acting really nicely and then the shepherds come in and the angels are there and all this stuff going on, right? So I want to sort of unpack the original Christmas and I want to talk a little bit about uh, how we shouldn't romanticize it that much. <laughs> so let's read the two verses that we have here in Luke chapter 2. I want to read our Luke chapter 2 verses 6 and 7. It's talking about uh, traveling down to Bethlehem. Verse 6 says, And while they were there in Bethlehem, Joseph and Mary, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. There's a couple different uh, views on this, a couple different versions on this as I researched this heading up till today. But there was something that Joel Green said in his International Commentary on the New Testament that gave some background I thought was helpful. So I'm going to read a little quote here from Joel Green. He says, the narrator apparently pictures Joseph and Mary arriving in Bethlehem and staying for some time before the delivery of Mary's baby, not their inability to locate lodging on the night of their arrival, resulting in the birth of a child in a stable. It is doubtful whether a commercial inn actually existed in Bethlehem, which stood on no major roads. And later he says that guest room is the more plausible meaning instead of inn, guest room instead of inn. Uh, here is urged by the realization that in peasant homes in the ancient Near East, family and animals slept in one enclosed space, with the animals located on a lower level. Mary and Joseph then would have been the guests of family or friends, but their home would have been so overcrowded that the baby was placed in the feeding trough. So, um, again, I want to sort of spend our time 
uh, talking about this amazing uh, night where Jesus was born, uh, but also take off the pink shaded glasses and sort of take a, a clean look at what actually is going on here. Uh, one of my favorite songs, Christmas songs, is Silent Night. And I'm particularly partial to the Nat King Cole version. And in particular, I think that whole album is the best Christmas album ever made. Uh, and really, you're not going to be able to convince me otherwise. Uh, and we like to say here at Compass that we make space and place and grace for disagreements. But at sometimes, I just have to hold to my guns here and say that I'm right. And if you think that something else is a better Christmas album, you're wrong. Um, you got to tell the truth no matter the cost sometimes. So but anyway, Silent Night. Let's think about Silent Night. In what sense was that particular night silent? Was there any silence at any point in that night? I want to paint the picture from Mary's perspective a little bit here. You're a young woman. You're probably a teenager. You're probably between 13 and 15 years old. You're engaged to an honest man. In that culture, they called it betrothal. But you're engaged. Uh, he's an honest uh, man. Uh, and he, you end up getting supernaturally pregnant and having to figure out how you're going to navigate that. When Mary made the decision to become the mother of Jesus, she was looking at a full life of people not believing her story, of people who would just say, oh, either Joseph and you had relations before you were fully married, or you were an adulteress and you went outside of your marriage. And so she was taking on much more than just this like birthing the Messiah thing. I mean, that's big enough as it is, but she was taking on a lifetime of complication, a lifetime of possible shame in addition to that. And she didn't know what Joseph was going to do with all this. Now, we know the story from Matthew that uh, an angel comes to Joseph and tells him what's going on. And Joseph, who was going to just sort of put her away privately, he decides to stay with her and become the father to the Messiah. So now, you know, they're on the same page. They decide, you know, they get this census thing. They've got to travel to Bethlehem. And uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem was a over a hundred mile trip, depending on which route you took. It could be about an 80-mile trip uh, if you took the direct route, but most people didn't because that was through Samaria, and the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along very well. And so you think about this. Mary is likely six to seven months pregnant. Uh, she likely walked the whole way. Oh, and by the way, Bethlehem is on the, uh, situated on the top of a mountain. It's 2,650 feet above sea level. So imagine, especially the women in the room who have been pregnant before, uh, imagine being six or seven months pregnant. It's probably in the summer or early fall, and you are uh, walking, uh, you know, 100 miles. Uh, you probably don't have enough money for a donkey, uh, given your financial situation. So you're walking with your husband in a large caravan uh, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. You know, so it probably took you a week, and you would have had to watch out for robbers. You would have had to watch out for all sorts of stuff. Uh, on the way. And then when you get there, you end up in a small town staying with his relatives, who, by the way, know that you're not fully married yet and also know that you're six or seven months pregnant. So how do you think she felt walking into a situation like that? And of course, she had the story straight. Joseph had the story straight, but we don't know who the family believed that story or not. It could be that the whole family agreed with the story and believed them that they were telling the truth. And it could be that People uh, thought that that was a strange story to tell. Uh, we don't know. But what we do know is that there's nowhere to run and there's nowhere to hide for her. She's with his family. So now you at least spend a couple weeks there. It might have been up to a couple months. And now it's time to have the baby. And who are you surrounded with? Uh, like, it, like Joel Green said, in a small town like Bethlehem, most people were 
on the poorer end of society, they would have had single room dwellings where they would have like unrolled their beds at night and just slept on the floor. And there would have been a large room for the family and then there would have been a step down and then that's where the animals would be. Uh, and then they might have had a guest room, which is where they said they had no room for them in the inn or the guest room. And that apparently was being held by other people in the family that had priority. They were there already visiting before Joseph and Mary made it there. So what would have happened during the actual childbirth is the men in the house would have left to give the, the women privacy. Uh, the local midwife would have come and helped assist with the birth. And so you have Mary. Joseph's not there. And she just has a bunch of women from the town around her who she probably didn't know very well. And there also were these farm animals that were there because they brought in the farm animals uh, when it was nighttime. And oh, by the way, in the ancient Near Eastern world, even more than in the modern world, childbirth was a dangerous thing to go through. So she could have been having all these concerns about what's going to happen. Are there going to be complications? What's, what's going to go on? And so Mary, I'm sure, was making an appropriate amount of noise given the situation. <laughs> Jesus, I'm sure, would have been crying when he was born. Uh, just like all babies do. I'm sure all the other people in Joseph's family made some noise. Of course, the women were coaching Mary through. And then once B Jesus was born and they notified the rest of the men who would have been elsewhere in the town that Jesus had been born and everything was great, they would have come back and then they would have started partying basically all night. That's what you did, when, especially when a baby boy was born in that culture. So... We can also think about the sounds and smells from the animals. I mean, look, there's a lot going on in this little, in this little house back in Bethlehem way, way back then. And just when the little guy has been laid to rest in the manger, uh, who sh shows up but some strange shepherds, right? They just show up and nobody knows who these guys are, right? And what's interesting about the shepherds is these men were not considered uh, the highest echelon of society. These were not priests or Levites. Uh, shepherds were considered honest, hardworking people, like a blue-collar job in modern society. Um, but I think it's interesting that the shepherds were the ones who were called to witness the birth of Jesus, uh, not the, the people in the town who were uh, like the local Levites or the local priests. But God uh, sent his angels to go appear to some shepherds. And these men were outsiders. They were not part of the family. So Mary, having just given birth with women around her that she doesn't know, 100 miles from where she's lived, probably her whole life in Nazareth, uh, and now she gets these strange men coming in and, and talking to her. I mean, it's just sort of a wild night. It's not really a silent night. It's more of a wild night. Um, but the other cool thing we can think about that is, is that uh, the good news of Jesus' birth and the good news that the Messiah was here was given to uh, a humble group of people, and Jesus was born in humble circumstances. And if you think about the rest of Jesus' ministry, I think it's pretty on brand that that's how it happened. Because Jesus' entire ministry was extending himself to the people who were left behind by society. It would become a hallmark of Jesus' ministry to bring the good news to the humble or the lowly. So as I reflect on this incredible night, uh, what is the point of all this? Uh, the beginning of the turning point in history was not a great battle won. It was not a victorious warrior winning a competition. It was not a hero rising to power and becoming Caesar, or becoming president. Uh, God didn't send an army of angels to drive out the Romans like he did with the Assyrians hundreds of years prior. God sent his son as a baby, hopeless, fully dependent on his parents. 
the universal symbol of hope. Uh, babies signify the hope of their parents for a better life. I know when I think about my kids and as I reflected on my kids' childbirths, uh, it's just an incredible moment of hope, uh, looking at their little faces and seeing a blank slate. So Jesus didn't come into this world looking like Thor and waving a sword around and fighting people. Uh, he came into this world like we all did, with nothing but his parents' love and the hope of those around him. And to me, that's the real meaning of Christmas. Our world is broken. Many of the people around us are broken. And sometimes, even though we have been made complete in Christ, we feel broken too. And that's okay, as long as we hold on to that hope. And just as we look to the cross to see how the world has changed through the radical act of love uh, of Jesus our Lord in that moment to die for us, we can look at the birth of Jesus to see the remarkable hope that we have in him. Our lives may not be where we want them to be right now, but as we reflect on the moment of his birth, we realize a new baby's been born. The future is yet to be written. We can have incredible hope. As we look into that baby's face, we're reminded of the hope that one day God will make all things new. Let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for this child that you gave us over 2,000 years ago, your son Jesus. We're thankful for faithful, uh, faithful people that followed you throughout time for Mary for saying yes, for Joseph for understanding his position and raising your son, for the shepherds, uh, for the magi who'd come later, for all the people who were faithful during Jesus' ministry, for the, for the men and the women who shared the gospel in the early years, all the way until now, Father, where we can be here 2,000 years later and still celebrating your son's birth. It's humbling that we're part of the story now too, Father. So we thank you for that. Help us to have great hope and great peace and great love and great joy as we reflect on your son's birth in this season. Help us to enjoy the time that we have with our families and friends and loved ones. And help us to be uh, the people of hope, the people that shine the light of Christ into the world in the, the ways that you work within us, Father. We thank, we thank you for that opportunity. We're humbled by it. So we thank you for all the things that Jesus means to us. It's his, in his name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Compass Christian Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. For more information on how we are striving to follow Jesus together here in Louisville, Kentucky, check out our website, compasslu.org, where you can subscribe to our newsletter and view additional resources.